We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Before we start the episode, I have to tell you, we have our next podcast live show on the books, on the calendar. I have been working on like five different projects in my work life, in my film and TV life. And so I have not had time to do another live show, but I got a bunch of messages um, over the past six months asking for one. So we finally have it. It's May 10th. It's in Los Angeles, but you can also buy a streaming ticket and you can watch it online for up to 24 hours after the live show. Uh, You just have to buy your ticket beforehand. At the live show, we are doing Celebrity Book Club, Obvi. We have the Celebrity Book Club drinking bingo. I'm very excited for this one. Uh, We're really gonna run the game this time. We have some incredible drag queens, some hilarious stand-up comedians. The last show was so dreamy. I I have high expectations for this one. So get your ticket. It's in the show notes or go to my Instagram at Chelsea DeMontez. The link is in there. May 10th. We'll see you there. And now let's dive into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Glamorous Trash Talk, where I take a tangent and put out a short episode to discuss something besides books that I also consider glamorous trash. Glamorous trash just really encapsulates who I am, where I come from, also my tastes, okay? Glamorous trash, what is that? It's buying a blazer from Wet Seal. 
It's ordering truffle sauce goat cheese pizza and still asking for ranch. It's a podcast about female celebrity memoirs where you talk about all the hot goss and the structural misogyny that leads to women's stories being considered trash in the first place. That's glamorous trash. Your feedback from the last one of these episodes, the, the first episode of this kind that I did, was so nice and so encouraging. Thank you so much for your messages. So I've decided to do another short episode because of those messages, uh, and that's this one. This is gonna be 20 to 25 minutes long, and I'm gonna tell you my hot takes on season four of Love is Blind and the weaponization of the term mean girl. If you watch Love is Blind, you might think you know where this episode is going, but you have no idea. Or maybe you do, I don't know, let's find out. This episode encapsulates the side of me that worked in late night comedy news for years, was Jon Stewart's head writer last year, and the part of me that loves garbage TV and Love is Blind is my new favorite, so we're going to go high and low in this episode. So let's dive into the show. Love is Blind on Netflix, every season sets out to answer the question, is love really blind? They even have the ministers at the altar of these weddings ask, is love really blind? And over and over again, the show proves, no, it's absolutely not blind. Looks matter. Netflix, we got it. Stop proving this to us. Oh, it proves it to us every season. Uh, Let me give you some details in case you don't watch the show. In season three, A man named Cole proved that love wasn't blind by being horrified that his fiance, Zainab, was, I guess, not thin enough, ridiculous. I think it was really his internalized racism flying free when he didn't find her attractive, but was obsessed with a woman named Colleen. Listen, anybody size is thin enough. It really felt like, it really felt like the the Jessica Simpson episode where we revealed that when everyone called her fat, she was a size four and just, you know, did terrible destruction to women's bodies. Before that, in season two, a man named Shake, a man whose body was like a paper straw dissolving in that jacuzzi himself, was livid that his fiance wasn't, I guess, a p- weightless. He was mad she weighed more than, I don't know, a ghost. He kept bringing up how important it was to him to have a girl he could throw over his shoulders. I assume to kidnap her when she eventually tries to leave him. I'm not sure. But this man had such paper straw, frail bird bones. He needed that woman to apparently be weightless and made fun of his own fiance and her looks behind her back all season. And now season four, beautiful, beautiful season four gave us Irina fleeing at the side of Zach when he dared to be a regular man, just a regular man. I don't know what she wanted. I'm not sure if she was just like, you're not a model. I, I, I don't know. And then, you know, Jacqueline loving Marshall. And then a, a man named Josh shows up in a turtleneck and flowers from Walgreens. And she's like, never mind, this guy's hotter. Love is Blind is not proving that love is blind. It is proving that Nick and Vanessa Lachey have a sick contract with Netflix because how are they still hosting this show? At this point, I genuinely love it because they're such terrible hosts. It's enjoyable to me now. If you for one second remove the fact that they were previously famous and are just supposed to be actual TV hosts, you will burst out laughing. I am honestly so excited for Sunday's live reunion, mostly to see Nick Lachey try to host this show without them giving a good edit around him. Season four of Love is Blind is my favorite since the original season. And let me tell you why. Again, for people who haven't seen, I'm going to get into it. 
In this episode, I'm going to use Love is Blind to talk about mean girl culture. So if you don't want to hear me talk about Love is Blind, skip ahead like 10 minutes when I really get into it. But if you do want to hear Love is Blind, well, okay, let's do it because it's, it's, it's important to break down this subject. So in season one of Love is Blind, we had a lady named Jessica nonchalantly feeding her dog wine from her own glass of wine in a way that let you know this is a regular thing. Then you also have her at the group bachelorette party, wastedly telling her nemesis, Amber, who she was actively stabbing in the back, hey, know me, know me, I love you. Can anything top that? Turns out, yes. Zach proposing to Irina with a song he wrote, standing it and singing it with literally no singing skills whatsoever, only for TikTok to expose that he did not write this song. It's a song by the band Ludo did top that. Now listen, in actuality, all production knows they cannot air songs without paying for them. So I had figured that they offered, they were like, we can afford this song, sing sing this one. And he did change some of the lyrics to be like, you and I met in a pod. So I figured that's what he meant by writing it. But then on his own TikTok, he revealed that he did tell Irina this, this song was not an original. It was from his favorite band, Ludo. He just changed some of the words. But TikTok did not know that. And so they made this video exposing him. I was aching, breaking down. The bluest guy the blues had found. I was aching, breaking down. The bluest guy the blues had found. You found me all alone. I found myself. A Blarney Stone. This man sang the lyric Blarney Stone, and Irina said yes. I don't think the scandal is that he didn't write it. The real scandal is that there is no way Irina knew what Blarney Stone meant. And if she did, it wouldn't have compelled her towards him. That's not who she is, okay? She probably thought that was like a new gemstone. And you know she'd lose her mind if it wasn't a diamond. She heard him sing You're My Blarney Stone and still said yes. And that is because Irina was scamming the whole time. She never loved him. So here are the couples this season. There is Tiffany and Brett. They're the prom king and queen. They are mom and dad. We know they're going to work out. You know, they are they are replacing Lauren and Cameron from season one as the couple that, that does prove that this dating show does make beautiful matches, okay? Then there's Jackie and Marshall. Now, Jackie's full name is Jacqueline. If I was writing her character in a script, I would, I would praise myself for thinking of the name Jacqueline. It's perfect for her. And poor Marshall, you guys, he never stood a chance. He began the show saying people have always made fun of him for his emotions and being too emotional. And she began the show saying, I have no emotions and I like really tough guys. Like this was always gonna bust up. That said, wow, did she take it to the mats? And she asked, so, okay, so first off, I have to say, the fact that he was like, I want the ring back, that annoyed me. He was just like looking for any way to try and get power and hurt her on the way out because she had hurt him so much. Then she's like, no, I'm keeping the ring. What? That was nuts to me, mostly because the the show pays for the rings. These are none of y'all rings. I bet in the contract, you have to give it back if you don't get married. Like, stop fighting over the ring. Like, none of you get to keep the ring. Then 
There was Zach and Irina, which became Zach and Bliss, shockingly. Zach and Irina's breakup scene while brushing their teeth and telling each other how much they've hated each other the whole time in a calm and weirdly loving way will forever be a favorite scene. Then Chelsea and Kwame, who, oh, Kwame just does not deserve her. And I'm so upset she put up with so much. That's her weakness. She's like almost too emotionally strong and could endure red flags. And Kwame, wow, does he not like Chelsea the way he liked Micah? And here's why it makes sense to me. Here's the thing with Kwame. He told us his core wound in episode one was that he could not go pick up his prom date from her house because he was black. And then he comes into talking about how he almost changed his name for the show, only for us to reveal like his actual real name is Alex. It it was a whole fucked up thing. And then now he's wandering around the world, I think, looking to recreate that high school pain. He needed a girl or a girl's family. He needed an obstacle that he could overcome and change her mind and be the best. And the adrenaline that would come, for, come from that, you know, going back and healing his high school wound would create an idea of love in his mind that would last, I don't know, five to 10 years before the divorce. And I am so sad to say this. I hate it. But I think if Chelsea hadn't been so into Kwame, he might have fallen head over heels for her the way he fell for Micah. Because I just refuse to believe he was like really falling. Like I just, Chelsea's personality is so great. I think he's got old wounds he's dealing with. And then Micah and Paul. Now, Paul is a man who said he normally dates witchy girls. And as a girl who could maybe fall into that description, love a shout out. Uh, He was like, they usually have like herbs and bangs. That made me laugh. Then he ends up with this like blonde beer koozie of a woman who greets people like, what's up, you crazy bitch? And then we met Paul's mom. And it all made sense how he chose Micah. Someone told me there was a tweet that said, Paul outfroided Freud. That really made me laugh. And then Micah's friends from back home who were really just a bunch of Irina's. Like, no wonder she became friends with Irina in the pods. Like, that's who she's used to. And she had this one friend, the girl in the lime green dress, who was just trying to sabotage her relationship with Paul by being mean to him. And she was wearing that lime green button-up like Olivia Pope works a large sweater. She'll be iconic. Meaning she'll be iconic forever in my heart. Okay, so I'm going to get into the couples, the decisions, the hot takes later. But what we have to talk about is Irina and Micah, this season's Mean Girls on High. We've never seen anything like it on the show. It was savage. They were giggling and spying on other girls, laughing about their pain. Irina was telling Amber for two minutes how cute her flowers were, like obsessively over the top. Your flowers are so cute. And then we watched her walk 10 feet to Micah and be like, ew, those are disgusting and ugly and like, like how lame and boring. Then like Irina was comforting Jackie at one point and then her and Micah like make fun of Jackie crying. It was so clear that both of them were getting off on getting one up on other girls, but not actually getting off on either of the guys they were with. Irina was over the top cruel to Zach but also had revealed she'd been badly bullied for her acne as a kid. It's a real hurt people, hurt people, hurt people go on reality TV situation. I have heard the take that like Irina brought it out of Micah. Micah wasn't bad when Irina wasn't around, but Micah was the instigator when they were in that house together. She was often goading like Irina to go do her dirty work and spy on Amber. So I 
don't really get on board with it. You also see who Micah hangs out with. And then, in true mean girl fashion, the third act that's coming for every hateful group of friends, they turned on each other. Irina decided she likes Micah's fiance, her only friend in the pod. She likes her fiance. Then Micah throws Irina under the bus to everyone as if they weren't a duo, as if Micah wasn't just as bad. Irina stabbed her in the front. Micah stabbed her in the back. This recap is not doing justice to the nuance of of this spectacular episode. It really was reality TV, Julius Caesar. So, of course, everyone on the internet called them mean girls. Then, as is follows on the internet, they became uh, uh, an angry mob being just as bad as they were raging on their social media as they both go on lockdown. I, I just have to say, that type of public shaming really doesn't help anyone. I don't think it actually makes people better. It doesn't help people rehabilitate themselves. Um, if you haven't seen the shame documentary, uh, EP'd by Monica Lewinsky. You really should. It it wasn't even what I was fully expecting. I loved it. That said, Micah has been on socials every day being like, okay, like, are we done yet? Like, I'm ready to come back now. Um, I wish the social media shame hadn't happened, but that aside, it is nice to see that we're in a place as a culture where we are saying no more mean girls. We're not worshiping that anymore because we really did for a long time as a country, as a nation, or at least we feared its power structure and never believed that their reign would truly come to an end. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much.
And to call back to our last episode, the first episode I did um, about The Bachelor, one of the most incredible things on Matt James' season, which was the racial reckoning season. So another thing that happened on that season was that these girls, Callie and Anna, accused another girl on the show, Brittany Galvin, of being an escort. So this is 2019, 2020 when this takes place. Brittany was getting a lot of attention. She was quickly Matt James's favorite. She was comfortable with her sexuality. And so they came for her and it worked. And it wasn't just a conflict. It wasn't two girls fighting or being rude. It crossed a line. It had real world consequences. It affected her reputation, her livelihood, her relationships, and her standing in the house. Like she clearly shut down and could not come back to life after this. It's now what comes up when you currently Google her. She later gave a great statement saying sex work is work and uh, and you should respect that. And also I, I just wasn't actually an escort. It was true bully and mean girl behavior. And everyone watching at home said, no, we don't like that shit. Please keep in mind that Bachelor Nation, they're really not known for being a nice and kind fan base. Like that's not one of their qualities as a whole. So this was a shift when they said, like, get that mean girl shit out of here. They've gone too far. There was one girl who really stood up against the house bullies, and that was Katie. And fans were so obsessed with Katie for having the strength to go up against the mean girls that she became a fan favorite and she got her own season. And Katie, God love her, one of the worst bachelorettes of all time. I'm just talking about, I'm, I, feel, I feel like I'm talking objectively, like that season, not good. And Katie probably never would have been chosen as the bachelorette, but she'd stood up to the mean girls and people had come to value that. That's amazing. Now, here's why I love Micah and Irina's pop culture moment, because they really are the very definition of what a mean girl is. And it's, it's a clear example. Now, here's a definition from Very Well Family. Mean girls are particularly good at turning friend against friend. They target girls whom they are jealous or stick out from the crowd. Mean girls thrive on drama and often resort to cyberbullying and manipulation to torment their victims. So this isn't like someone who's rude. This isn't someone who's cold. This isn't someone who says mean things. This is a like ongoing purposeful takedown that makes you a mean girl. The reason I enjoy them being clear examples of this is because I feel like we have been misusing, misunderstanding, and weaponizing the term mean girls against women who are not mean girls. And it's really escalated the past five years. I have seen it on reality TV. I have seen it in my own life with people I know. Nowadays, when I hear someone call someone a mean girl, I kind of knee-jerk roll my eyes because I feel like I've mostly seen it used recently when what someone really meant to say was, I don't like that thing you did. And there's just like such a big difference between you're a mean girl and I don't like that thing you did. Just very different things. This is a cousin to a pet peeve of mine that I have on the podcast. If you listen to the podcast, you know what I'm about to say, which is when someone in a memoir says they were bullied and then describes something that is absolutely not bullying. One of the ones that's like a gray area, and I know people might disagree with me, was in Paris Hilton's memoir where she, in middle school, wears a pair of shoes to school that are too big. And she says she gets made fun of. And once you're on the end of bullying, like it's hard to come back from that. But at the same time, she's also telling us she was voted finest girl. She's extremely popular, wealthy, rich. She has friends. I think it was like a really rude, hurtful moment. 
I think it was like shitty, but I just think it's unfair to call things bullying that are not bullying because bullying has a power imbalance to it. It is someone with power actively using it to attack, belittle, and harm another person. Um, there's a power imbalance that goes into it. It's an agenda to action. Lately, it feels like people are lacking nuance and a general understanding of the term. The thing that makes me angry about this is because it's so gendered. So here's my real stance, okay? And I'm going to say the words girl and boy, but what I really mean is like feminine energy and masculine energy. It's gender aside, but like the girl meaning anyone who is feminine, anyone who defines as such, identifies as such, or presents in, in any such feminine way. Mean girl literally has the term girl in it, and there's no positive connotations. Take, for example, the word bully. When you think of a male or masculine bully, we don't like that. We don't like them. But we do associate it with power. We associate it with getting stuff done. To think back to the past election with Trump, so sorry to take us here, but a lot of people believed we needed a bully in the White House, someone to just get stuff done, plow through. I heard those things said. And here's the thing. When a man is truly dangerous and we truly don't like him, we don't call him a bully. We don't say he bullied me. We say, that's a predator. He's harassing me. He's violent. He's making me sexually uncomfortable. He's a misogynist. Like, I think we need the equivalent of those specific phrases for women. Otherwise, mean girl becomes a catch-all for a strong feminine personality. From everyone who's good to everyone who's evil, it's used for all of them, versus a like a term for pointed, vindictive, and manipulative behavior. Wow, yes, welcome to my TEDx talk. Definitely TEDx, not the main brand. I'm on like some offshoot shit right here, but I'm still going. Bully when associated with a woman or someone femme presenting or feminine energy doesn't have those same positive upsides. It's only negative. For women, bully and mean girl is a term meant to banish you, to dehumanize you, to erase your power. And when you use it, when it's not deserved, I think it's harmful and then it also dilutes, it dilutes the term so that it no longer means something when you say it, which it needs to be said to some people. If you say it to someone who doesn't really deserve it, I then in fact think you become the mean girl because you're being manipulative, using a big bad word to shut someone down and make them feel bad. And now welcome to hell or the couch of an Andy Cohen Bravo reunion where two housewives shout back and forth, no, you bullied me. No, you bullied me. No, you bullied me. Listen, when someone is really being bullied, it's clear, okay? It's a very clear thing. Now, here's why this is really important to me. I have been feeling, especially in the past five years or so, that we're using the term mean girl to keep women in nice little boxes, which are also a really dangerous concept. A nice box where women are polite and sweet and don't speak up for themselves and don't call danger. And I think the same people who would say that like, as a woman, you do not have to be nice and likable all the time. Those same people will turn around and call someone a mean girl. When what they probably could have been more accurate to say usually is I don't like the tone you're taking or that thing you said hurt my feelings or I don't fuck with you. I don't fuck with you, Bertiffany. Okay. That's a better thing to say. Let me draw a comparison. There's no equivalent term for men. There's no mean boy term. And it's not because mean boys don't exist. They do. Shout out to the man a year ago in the Beverly Center Mall who watched me hold up a dress and said, that's not going to work on you with a little smile. I still think about him. Wish I could say I bought that dress and wore it proudly, but it did look very bad on me. So listen, maybe he wasn't a mean boy. Maybe he was an honest guy just looking out. A million years ago, 
My now husband told me about a study in Namibia with the Himbu tribe that determines that the tribe of people could not see the color blue. An entire tribe could not see the color blue, couldn't identify it on a color sheet. Then the study found that they had no language to differentiate between the colors green and blue, but they had lots of words for green in their language, and they could differentiate between all shades of green on the color sheet. They had way more words for green than we do in the English language. I attempted to look at the exact same green color sheet test and failed. It all looks like the same color to me. I couldn't see it because they had language for all those greens and we do not, but they had no word for blue and could not see blue. This is also something that parallel in my life in therapy, I've heard my therapist talk about with trauma that a lot of trauma often feels like something is senseless and overwhelming and it just can't make sense. And when we can begin to name what happened and specifically talk about what happened, that's when we can begin to heal. So here's where I'm going with this. If we don't have language for it, we cannot see it. And if our language isn't accurate, we can no longer see it. Like, Listen, we have other terms for men. We have the term wife guy. Oh, amazing term. A man using his wife as a human shield to create a new personality for himself. We see it everywhere. In the Alicia Keys episode, we had a great example of Terry Richardson, known photographer, predator, rebranding as a wife guy. We all know what that means. We also have the term reply guy. A guy who's just, he's replying to everyone, putting it out there for everyone. Basically, a reply guy is just a wife guy who is still single because none of his replies have worked yet. I think, in a way, we are living in the most aware and and possibly most empathetic time. I mean, listen, guys, Micah, she said she was an empath. (laughs) By the way, that, that was like the first sign that all this was coming when she said she was an empath. But That aside, I think we are living a horrible time, but there's also a lot of awareness and empathy. But what we've lost right now is nuance and a value for nuance and context. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the moment when I am really feeling what a millennial I am. I mean, fuck having a side part or skinny jeans. Feeling as if the younger generation is missing nuance is aging me. Who do I feel aged Now, here's my big point before getting back into the love is blind hot takes. The phrase Mean Girls became popular with Tina Fey's 2004 movie Mean Girls, which she lightly adapted from the book Queen Bees and Wannabes. That was a book written by Rosalind Wiseman in 2002 that gave language, a little callback here, to something that girls were experiencing at school. It was a social anthropology book, really, and Tina made it into a comedy. And guess what? Mean Girls, one of the greatest female ensemble comedies of all time, of at least of that time for sure. In that decade, what can we name besides Bridesmaids and Mean Girls that offered six nuanced, funny, leading women, fantastic movie, and and not just like a good, nice movie. I'm talking like where the women got hard jokes. And that is because we allowed them to be mean. We at least, we allowed them to play in that space. And you know who was also mean? Technically, Janice the hero of the movie. Janice says mean shit, but we're on her side because of the nuance of the situation. I want to live in a world where we call Regina George a mean girl until she rehabilitates herself. And in a world where we think Janice, yeah, sure, she's mean, but she's really just shady and traumatized. And here's the thing. Listen, you might disagree with me, but I think one of the reasons why season four of Love is Blind was so good and had such a juicy start was because 
Irina and Micah were mean girls. It was riveting. We don't get to see that a lot in fictional content. And it brought us all back to high school of women being horrible to us. And we all held hands across Instagram and TikTok. And we said, fuck mean girls. Fuck this. We don't like it. I don't uphold mean girls or mean girl culture. I don't want it in my life. Listen, on this podcast, you hear me talking about holding a grudge all the time. I, I never say deets because I'm like trying to trying to go the high road, but like this is the shit I'm talking about. Like I hold some grudges. So I'm not about this, but I am a TV writer. And if you'll remember on the Jesse Klein episode, who is also a TV writer, the one note we have both heard most in our careers is, can you make this female character more likable? And we get that note because culturally we have such intense standards for women to always be polite and and quiet and nice. That's what's creating this note. And then we get these very bland female characters or women in action movies who are now like very tough, but still have no good lines. As a culture, I just want us to make room for nuanced women and not be so quick to call someone a mean girl unless it's really accurate. Because otherwise we're contributing to nice girl culture where women can't say what they feel or stand up for themselves or be funny or take risks or have opinions or be leaders and make hard decisions. And especially in art, let's make room for nuanced women. Let's let's hold people accountable in our real lives and everybody should be nice. But in art, let's make room for nuanced women because men sure as hell get to have context. And I've said this point a thousand times on this podcast and I'll say it again. Um, I don't know. Listen, I'm so sorry I sang, but it's because I'm about to say Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr <laughs> competed their whole lives, stabbed each other in the back until Burr literally shot Alexander in the face It's considered one of the greatest stories of our time and a slightly problematic musical, but it's not a boy feud, okay? They're not mean boys. They're fully realized characters. Even though I would love to see the remake called Mean Boys, where Lin-Manuel really, really goes in on the rapping. Um... So this, this is why it was important to me to see Mean Girls culturally, and I, but I do want us to open up our thinking about what that is. Now let's talk about the rest of the series. Ooh, okay. Queen Chelsea, my namesake, who at her bachelorette wearing a feather boa and loud jewelry screamed, own who you are and never dull it down. I said, is this my Seattle tether? Like, is, is this my shadow corporate twin? Uh, wow, did Kwame not deserve her in any way? And also... She put up with everything. She made everything work. She high jumped over so many red flags. I don't think that is a good thing. She, it makes you think there's something weird behind her wanting it to work with Kwame so bad because he's presenting her so much evidence as to why they are not a fit. And then there was the engagement photo shoot. Now it was Chelsea's lifelong dream to do an engagement photo shoot that was essentially a lingerie shoot, a couple's lingerie shoot. Now, as someone who was an insane bride themselves, who took everything way too far, I'm really shook to my core to say, I found my line. I found where I draw the line because I am pretty much down for any engagement photo shoot, but the one where you pose mostly naked, really taking your sexiness and your fitness seriously as a couple to announce that you'll be fucking each other for the rest of your lives. Like that I'm out. That's where I'm out. Now here's what's also wild. And what I think is like a little canary in the coal mine, but I don't know which way it goes. Everyone loves Chelsea and her judgment 
and they think she's centered and awesome and great. She said on camera that Zach, I think she said he freaks her out and gives her the creeps and she doesn't like him. And that Bliss dodged a bullet. And then Bliss, you know, Bliss is going to marry that bullet. Well, I think if we really think Chelsea has good judgment, she's telling us something about Zach. Or Chelsea is not as perfect as we might think. Now, here's a question. Remember when she went back to Kwame's apartment and it was fucking disgusting, just like Cole's apartment? I mean, like flies circling their toilet rings. It's like they knew they were coming on the show. They knew they were coming on the show. Like, why did you leave your apartment like that? And you could say like, oh, well, they didn't know they'd find love. No, Kwame knew. Kwame knew he was going to propose to somebody. Now, there is one giant, giant red flag about Zach, which I don't think is talked about enough, which is that he sincerely told his dates, multiple of them, that he was a stripper, which they all took as a joke and they would laugh about. And then way too late revealed that his mom really was a stripper and that she's dead. So then he like, and it constantly comes up that his mom was a stripper and she died. I mean, I don't even know if I believe in Freud, but I would resurrect him to get his take on this. Zach would also tell women that he lived under a bridge. Okay, this man was out here pulling a Joe Millionaire like, I want to make sure you really love me for me. And then revealing he was just like an attorney in a one bedroom in Seattle. Speaking of, Zach, an attorney. He could be your attorney. Paul, a scientist. Get this man out of our labs. Oh, Mike and Paul. You guys, I'm, I just watched, I just watched the finale, then raced to this microphone to yell into it. I'm so happy Paul said no. Uh, they just, they weren't a match. Also, Micah, <laughs> Micah in her, her wedding vows said, uh, we got through all our crap. And then she also brought up his parents' divorce. It was very funny. Then she also did a cop-out. She was going to say yes to him, but wanted to make him go first. Uh, I just, I, it's just like coward's way. Then we have, you know, Irina number two, the lime green dress girl in the audience being like, I wish I was way drunker for this. Listen, girl, another sentiment I can relate to. Then Paul says he can't picture Micah as a mom. It just so wild. Then we have uh, Tiffany and Brett. And we all knew, we all knew they were going to say yes. And I, I genuinely smiled through that whole ceremony. I just really, really loved it. You really feel like they are a match. I'll be heartbroken if it busts up. Sorry, but it's true. I screamed when Kwame said yes. He was supposed to say no. He wanted to say no. I, 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 he should have said no for her sake, for both their sake. Like, this shouldn't be happening. And listen, I'm thrilled to watch it fall apart on social media, maybe on the live show reunion. Like, there's just, there's just no way. I was also shocked that Bliss said yes to Zach. I was, I was shocked. But listen, if it's true love, I hope. And um, one of the cookies DM'd me. They were like, they've based their whole relationship off of the song, I Hope You Dance, meaning a lot to both of them. And they're pretending like it's a, a 70s B-side when actually it's like probably one of the more popular wedding songs. That's just really funny to me. I am recording this right after the finale, but before the reunion on Sunday, which I cannot wait for. Um, so so I'll tie it up all here. I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in a little bow, but let me give you my predictions. Everybody breaks up, but, <laughs> but Tiff and Brett, those are my predictions. Everyone breaks up, but Tiffany and Brett. Uh, and I don't know if it's by by the time we get to the reunion um, 
or if it's just something to come, but I think they're all busting up except for those two. I also know that Jackie on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter has been spilling so much tea about receipts she has, about how she didn't mistreat Marshall, and then he's going back and forth with her. So I think it's going to get real, and, and I'm real excited for it. So that's all for this episode. Thank you guys so much for your nice messages, encouraging me to do another one of these. I hope you liked it. Maybe more are on the way. Who knows? Uh, DM me, make a comment. I'm still thinking about a MILF Manor episode. MILF Manor on Discovery Plus, if you've ever heard of it. It's it's a show that's still haunting me. I could also talk about 500 Days of Summer and the comeback of the modern rom-com in 2023, which I think we are all hoping for. Um, If you have thoughts and feelings, you know, you can comment on my Instagram at at Chelsea Devantes. Thank you so much for listening. Your next book club episode is Kelly Ripa's book, dropping very soon. And I'll see you guys soon. I want to take a second to shout out some of our amazing podcast partners who have been gifting some incredible products to me and my guests to create the perfect cocktail and general book vibe to just, you know, curl up with a good or bad memoir and have a real time. Tenteo Tequila, Natalie's Juice, Paquetto Gear, Yield, and PF Candle. I love these products. So Tenteo Tequila, you know, it's where I get my favorite alcohol. Natalie's Juice mixes with them to create a great cocktail. My favorite is Blood Orange. Paquetto has so many products. They have these really cute little pins that I make book notes with. They have tiny little spoons that I use in my tea and I'm really obsessed with a tiny spoon. I I don't know why it just changes the whole tea experience. Gear and Yield have beautiful home products and cups to put this all in and PF Candle because listen, what is a vibe without a candle? You know what I mean? You got to light a candle to have a vibe. I'm obsessed with these brands and their products. Go to my Instagram. You'll see my haul of my favorite products and specific things from these brands. Oh, and PF Candle is giving the cookies 20% off your purchase when you use the code BOOKCLUB at checkout. So thank you, podcast partners. <laughs>